hustlers, road players, tournament champions. Hear the stories, get their advice, learn about their lives. Our host, Joey Ryan, brings you an inside look at the professional pool player. You're listening to the Pool Player Podcast, brought to you by Pool Scene 365. Hey guys, thanks for joining. I just wanted to take a second to thank Jake Lawson from Breakout Billiards Apparel for sponsoring this episode. If you go to shopbreakoutapparel.com, check out their assortment of competition shirts, t-shirts, polos, hats, all different types of billiards wear. Uh, they specialize in really high-end materials, and I think you'll really like it. In fact, they're actually offering a 20% discount to our listeners if you go to shopbreakoutapparel.com and make an order, upon checkout, type in PPP365 under the discount code and get 20% off your order. So whether you're looking for team shirts, competition shirts, whatever, go check it out and wear them to your next event. Thanks. Welcome to the Pool Player Podcast brought to you by Pool Scene 365. I'm your host, Joey Ryan, and we have a guest today who's been one of the top players on the East Coast for the last decade or so. He's won the Maryland State 8-Ball, 9-Ball, and 10-Ball Championship. He's won the Pennsylvania and New Jersey State Championships. He's a tour champion from the Mez, Predator, and Action Pool Tours. He's played all, all around the world in places like Kuwait, Qatar, and the Philippines, and he also represented the United States in the 2017 World Games in Poland. I'd like to welcome Sean Wilkie to the show. Sean, how are you, bud? How you doing, Joey? I'm excited to be here and uh, just gives me chills you reiterating that I've been around the world. You know, it's, it's a blessing in disguise that pool has really taken me places that I would never originally be. So I'm glad to be here, Joey, and uh, looking forward to this podcast. Awesome. Well, tell us, take us back to the beginning. How did you first get started in pool? And, uh, you know, the first time you touched a cue, you know, take us through that. Um, originally, um, a lot of people don't know my full backstory from when I started playing pool. My granddad obviously got me into playing. He was a, you know, an APA seven. He, he was a good player at, at his recognition, but, um, <clears throat> I'm probably going to get a little, uh, sensitive with this subject but uh, a lot of people that don't know me um i'm sorry uh sorry i uh survived cancer when i was a kid and uh i had a stomach tumor and my granddad was always there for me and uh he got me into playing pool because he knew when i got out of the hospital i needed something to take my mind off of what i i and my family went through and uh I just, I appreciate him for doing it because uh, pool has really taken me a lot of places because of that. And um, so when I got back home from the hospital, which was at John Hopkins Hospital, um, my granddad was retired from the army and the service and we would go to like the rec center. It's in Aberdeen, Maryland. And uh, I would just play pool with him three, four hours a day and just enjoy the game because I was a kid, you know, so I didn't. I didn't know pool was going to take me anywhere or be a pro. I was just had, I was desired and aspirations to look up to my idols, you know, people like Earl Strickland, Johnny Archer, those kind of players. And 
So I just want to give recognition to my granddad, John Wilkie Sr., for uh, getting me into the game and keeping my life alive. Wow, that's I appreciate you sharing that, Sean. That's a great story. I think, you know, we've known each other for about 15 years, and I think that I shared with you that I'm also a cancer survivor. Yes. Uh, not when I was a child, but when I was in my mid-20s. And, you know, it's funny because I think you, from your story, pool helped kind of get you through that, right, and heal you after that. And for me, right. it helped get me through during. So when I was struggling, I'd go to chemo, I'd go to radiation, I'd come to my dad's basement and I just hit balls for hours, you know, and it's just, it helped me mentally process the challenges that I was going through health-wise. Right. So I, I really appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, of course, man. And I just, I'm glad that we're both here and, you know, we're true blessings in this world. And I just wish that people out there that haven't went through something, just appreciate others and don't judge right away and just know that we all have backstories, you know, so showing that we care through a game, which is supposed to be a gentleman's game is something that I really cherish. So I thank you for that, Joey. Sure. So when did you make a decision to start, you know, becoming a little more competitive? Um, I would say in my teenage years, cause I would say, like I said, my granddad pushed me and, taught me the basics and certain things that he could get me to a certain level. And then um, obviously I played in a lot of junior tournaments growing up and I was getting better, you know, and the good thing for my generation as a junior and like open tournaments, we never had handicaps. So like I had to play against the best players in the area, you know, kids like me, Matt Crawl, Josh Brothers, we all grew up together. And we had to play against guys that are my age now, you know, 30, 40 years old. <clears throat> and we never got weight, you know. So we had to learn through the process. And for me, as a teenager, my granddad would say, hey, buy this VHS tape. You know, back then we didn't have CDs. We had VHS tapes. And study your favorite players. You know, learn their tricks. Go to the pool table, practice. And if you get better, you get better. But at least have a drive. And that's what it was. So I would say as a teenager. Yeah. You know, I, I like that you said we had to play people without weight, right? Uh, I grew up in Maryland, similar to you, but more in central Maryland. And there was yep. a good player in central Maryland, good bar box player named Turtle. I don't know if you know Turtle. Yeah, there's a lot of stories about him. Yeah. Well, one time somebody comes in the pool room looking to play him and says, uh, hey, uh, I, want, I, want, uh, I want a spot. And he's like, spot, when I hear that name, I turn around and look for a dog. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not, yeah, I'm not giving up any spot, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. When was well, that? Think, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. No, after you. Well, like you said, things have just changed, you know, we're, and I'm okay with handicaps, you know, I get it, you know, because there's some people that don't want to take it to a full pro level. That's understandable. They want to enjoy their time with their teams. But when your mindset's set on something else, you actually need that competition in order to keep pushing you. You know. Yeah, I agree. When was that moment that you felt like you arrived? Like I could beat anyone? Um, Is there a particular tournament event or time or was it just a period of time where you started beating better players? I would say it gradually. That's a good way you put it. It gradually came because like I said, I, I was grinding through <clears throat> learning the process maybe in my early, early 20s. You know, I, w I wouldn't say it was real young because me as a junior, 
I never really broke through. I didn't win no junior championships. Like some, I got like fifth a few times at the Super Billiards Expo when I was like, um, I don't know the exact age, but say, let's say like 14 to 16. Yeah. And I had my chances, but there was kids that were just slightly better than me. And you could tell that they maybe had slightly more drive than I did at that time. I was just still enjoying the game. I didn't know I could be a pro. You know, I just loved playing pool because my granddad got in and got me into it. And like you said, it got my mind off things. I was just happy to uh, be there playing. Um, but yeah, my early 20s, I, I, I used to play in the local tours around here. You, you were here living here with us. Uh, we played the Planet Pool Tour, yep. you know, and say I'd go up against like, uh, uh, who were the favorites back there? Like Danny Green, Ryan McCreesh, all these guys when they're in their primes. Um, obviously, we had some like big pros stop through the area. Like uh, I remember Charlie Williams used to play in the McDermott Tour. Mm-hmm. I mean, back when he used to actually play fast, you know, not so like he does now. <laughs> but uh, Charlie, sorry. <laughs> but he was like one of the big favorites, and I would get close to losing, you know, winning. Say I would lose 9-7 or something. And I'm like, man, if I could just fix a few of those mistakes, maybe I got a chance. And that's that's just what it was. So I'd go back home and practice certain shots that I struggled with. So because they're going to come up in a match, you know, you believe they won't, but they will come up every tournament you play in. And that's all I did. I, I knew I had a chance and I just kept pushing. Yeah. You know, Sean, I, I love that you say that there'd be moments in a match where you'd go back and you would assess it and then you'd set that up and practice it because I hear so many players that, you know, they want to get better, but they look back to, you know, the, the Hill Hill game and they got a bad role. And they're like, oh, I would have beat that guy, but I got a bad roll yep. at Hill Hill when the score was three to three and you missed a straight in three ball or, you know, you didn't play good shape. And I'm like, focus on what you can control, right? Absolutely. That's what the champions do. That's what Sean does when he misses that three ball at three to three. He realizes that when you make a mistake in a pool game, it usually costs you two, you know, at least maybe more. Especially, so, yeah. Especially these days. Well, back then, more often than now, when we used to play winter break all the time, it was a huge factor because you made that one mistake. As it, say the guy goes up there and breaks the runs two and then plays a good safety. All of a sudden you're down five games because of one mistake. Yeah. And I like how you said that you shouldn't rely on that last game. You're like, Oh man, that cost me the match. Now there's multiple things throughout the match for both players that could have either went more in the positive for you or the negative. So, you, I mean, we're humans, we're not robots, you know, so we, right. we're going to make mistakes. You just have to learn from those mistakes, move on to the next match and just try to get better. That's all you can do. Yeah. You know, I appreciate that because I have a few goals with this show. And one of those goals is to really help the players that are, that do want to be competitive and want to improve. And I think that's good advice for them. You know, I'm also, you know, really focused on trying to promote guys like you and your story, you know, um, because you're, you're a professional pool player. We know you play great pool. Um, You're really well known on the East coast. I live in Arizona now you know, I want more people out West to know about you and right. to know what you're all about, not just about pools. So I know you have a number of interests outside of pool. And so I wanted to give you a chance just to kind of tell us what you're doing when you're not hitting balls and, and practicing pool and playing in tournaments. I appreciate that. Um, 
recently I uh, got into photography the last couple of years. That's one thing that I've been doing. Um, uh, mainly right now it's wildlife photography. I mean, I'm, I'm inspired to do more in the future, you know, maybe like portrait photography, something that I can get extra money on the side. Haven't really dove into that yet, but um, I'm in the wildlife cause I, I'm about conservation. You know, as a kid, I grew up watching the crocodile hunter and Steve Irwin, you know, the guy was, another person that really helped me when I was young going through what I went through um, just to keep me alive. And uh, Steve Irwin, sorry, you know, God rest his soul. Um, he was a big part of another passion in my life. And, and that's wildlife photography. I'm hoping to uh, start a Facebook page in the future. I got thousands of images. I just haven't had time to process them and learn the, you know, the other side of photography because I'm, I've been playing pool so much, you know, so that's one thing. Um, let me think what else, what else well, do I do? While you're I was thinking, obviously watching other sports and stuff like that. What I was going to say is while you're thinking about that, um, maybe this will help you kind of get motivated to do that. And then we can get that website or whatever you create or your Facebook page, you kind of share it on here so people can check it out because we're friends on Facebook personally. Absolutely. And I, I see some of your images and you know, it's they're, they're excellent, you know, excellent shots. Uh, you seem to know what you're doing with the camera, but also finding getting out in nature and finding those things. And right. you live in a beautiful place, you know, kind of right up there at the top of the Chesapeake Bay, you're catching all kinds of wildlife. So I, I think people would enjoy seeing that. Yeah, you can say I'm, I'm very lucky with where I was raised, uh, being at the top of the bay. Um, I appreciate you saying the, that you follow me on Facebook. Um, I got a lot of things in store for everybody in the future with that. I also want to do some like photography for the pool players and stuff also, because I do have lenses that can do that. I just haven't worked behind the scenes on, you know, getting to a pool. Some lenses you have to have more light to get the when you're indoors, see, I'm used to do, being outdoors where I have sunlight, Right. but I can buy a lens where I can do portraits for like, say players of breakout of, you know, players that play with Lucasi, kind of, kind of like a team thing. You know, I could be like maybe a photographer on the side, you know, kind of just give them feedback on them playing in the pool hall, you know, when we're not out in nature. Yeah. I mean, with, you know, I was preparing for an interview that I'm about to do with someone who's won the world championship in pool. And uh, I was astounded by the prize money. It was $30,000 for a world right. championship. And I know there's, you know, match room and, you know, they're doing some great things and they're getting the prize monies higher, but, you know, pretty much pool players have to be a little entrepreneurial right now and try to figure out, Hey, how else can I make some money? True. You know, and so you have the, the photography thing as maybe a fallback or something to kind of help support you eventually. And, uh, you know, I know you're a huge fantasy football buff, right? I'm very big on fantasy football. I've been playing, I would say, in between eight and 10 years now. So yeah. uh, that's something, like I said, I was starting to talk about it a minute ago after the photography. I've always been a huge sports fan. Um, unfortunately, with the surgeries and stuff I went through when I was a kid, I couldn't, I couldn't go for my passion. I originally wanted to either play basketball or football. Obviously, I would have never been big enough for football, but basketball could have been a possibility. 
but I went through some things and my granddad thought it was the proper thing to put me on the path of billiards, which I'm so happy and blessed that he did because I may not have been able to play pro sports at a high level and anything else besides billiards because of what I went through. That's something that's a different backstory. I won't go into that, but, um, fantasy football is my life. I mean, when it comes to football season, because I'm competitive in that, just like I am in pool, you know? So I'm, I'm going into the stats. I'm learning players. Like if you ask me a a team and they're, they're tight end, I'm going to know the guy's name not just his number, you know? Yeah. It's something I've been doing for years and me and Jake Lawson now play in a couple of leagues together. So it's, it's more of a community and friendly thing, kind of like being in a pool hall, you know, yeah. you want to be there, have fun with your friends and, and bullshit, you know? Yeah. And, and you got a chance to win a little bit of money. It's nothing big, you know, we pay hundred dollar entry fees, but it's, it's exciting and it keeps me happy and passionate about fantasy football. Yeah. You know, a funny story when I was in high school, which I'm older than you. So it was back in, I graduated in 1990, but we started playing fantasy football. I want to say in like ninth grade and we literally would have to go pull stats from the newspaper and we kept track of defensive stats, including tackles. So like Hardy Nickerson was a middle linebacker back then. (laughs) Yeah. And he'd have like 11 tackles. So he's a huge, you know, fantasy football pick for you. You'd want to get Hardy Nickerson, you know? And so we had a guy (laughs) basically like we all paid money to be in the league, but this one guy didn't pay because he kept all of our stats and he's the most honest guy. You know, I still, I'm still friends with him. But uh, so when fantasy football started up, you know, like became popular, you know, I was like, Oh, I'm going to own this. I've been doing this for 10 years. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I did not own it. I mean, you have to have the time to really research and understand these players or you're just going to fall behind. Yeah. It's really tough. I mean, a lot of people say, well, I had a good draft, you know, that's your draft board to start the season. Well, that's just the beginning, yeah. you know, cause you're going to have injuries. Um, you have players that are breakout players that nobody knows about players coming from college, you know, mm-hmm. like this year actually was a, a turning point for me. Obviously I'm, I think I'm going to do good because I've been studying for five months because of this coronavirus thing. Yeah. And it's like, wow, you know, these guys that are out there doing podcasts for fantasy football, they live this every day, all day. And now you know why they're good at it. You know, kind of like when I first started playing pool, I played it every day, all day with my granddad for three to four hours for, I swear, five to six years. Even though I was a kid, I put a lot of feedback into those hours and years are very important to where I am now. Yeah. So switching back to pool, who's your favorite player to watch now? And um, uh, you know, currently or all time? Uh, let's say all time. I mean, obviously all time. It's it's the goat. It's Efren Reyes. He he's always been my favorite player. Um, I give a lot of credit to him of just watching him on video and learning how to spin the cue ball properly. You know, as a kid, it took me years to learn. But as I learned the art of the cue ball, which I, I think that's the art of the game in general, um, controlling the cue ball is just not easy for everybody, especially from the amateur level all the way up to pros. Because um, we're always going to have issues with this table being faster than the other table 
But if you can control your cue ball, you're not going to get out of line as often. So you can, you can recover faster than some players that might be a better shot maker. So I would say Efren Reyes obviously is my favorite player of all time. Yeah, it's funny because as I was preparing to start this podcast, you know, my wife was pretty excited about it. And so we're watching a bunch of videos and, you know, there's tons of Efren material out there. And she kept seeing him, but didn't know who he was. And finally, she's like, I like that guy. He's my favorite. You That's know, awesome. who is he? And I'm like, only the best ever. <laughs> and they call, yep. they call him the magician. And then I, I showed her the Z shot that he hit, you know, against Strickland at Hill Hill. And she's like, wow, that's amazing. I love that, oh, that highlight. It's amazing. It is amazing. And in, even Strickland, you know, who's not always the best loser is just like, you know, hands up, like, yeah, you know, I got to give it to you. Yeah. It's so, one of the best videos ever to watch because yeah. anybody out there don't know is Efren actually accidentally saved himself in the game and then ultimately hit a, a Z shot. You know, I mean, you guys can look it up on YouTube made the shot and still on the rack to beat Earl Hill Hill yeah. in, I forget the tour that they were playing in, but one of the biggest tours in the country at that time. Yeah. It was, that's just classic. I love yeah. it. So what about the biggest character that you've encountered out there? Uh, character. Yeah. The other, think. the other part of, you know, what I'm trying to do is I think you mentioned it before pool has been known as like a gentleman's game. And I think that's good, but I also think that we've done a pretty poor job in the industry of, you know, finding those characters and basically, right. you know, highlighting them and saying, Hey, you know, it's okay that somebody's a little crazy or a little goofy. Sure, you know, sure. People might be entertained by that. And so, you know, who have you run into? Um, that's kind of a character. I mean, obviously, when I became a pro, which uh, if anybody doesn't know, right around the year 2006, I would say, was the time that I felt like I made it. I went through a couple of things in life in 2005 where I was just growing up. I was a young kid in my mid-20s, and I recommitted in 2006, and I said, well, if I want to be a pro, I'm going to have to like set my goals and get back to practicing and, and make it work. So um, at the time... One of my favorite players ever. Um, I'm going to let other people talk about Earl because he's obviously one of the characters in the game, and I'm sure plenty of other people will talk about him. But mine would be uh, Alex Paguline from the Philippines. Um, and I just always enjoyed watching him when I was younger because of how energetic he was around the pool table. You know, he was flamboyant, but it wasn't like an arrogant flamboyant. It was just that he was having a good time with the game you know he he could accidentally make a bad shot look at the camera laugh it off and then just continue through the game and I give a lot of credit to him of just my attitude around the table because obviously like you were talking about earlier when something bad happens to us in a match we get a little tense we get angry inside we're like why is this happening to me you know yeah. I'm, I'm not a bad person I think I'm living good but it's not about that the game doesn't judge us as who we are it's just the balls around they, they can roll anywhere they want so how you deal with that while you're sitting in your chair and especially when you're at the table is very important and Alex through watching him this was before I ever played him in a tournament um, helped me see it in a different aspect so I would say Alex Pagla is my favorite character of the game 
Yeah, I love that because my first experience with Alex was at the Super Billiards Expo and, you know, in the pit tables where everybody's gambling and, you know, just seeing Alex run around and always looking like he was having fun, right? Right, yeah. And then I remember seeing him at a big tournament and a friend of mine was just standing there and then Alex comes up and starts talking to him and they're talking for like, I don't know, 15 minutes. And afterwards, yep. Alex leaves and I go up to my friend and I'm like, how long have you known Alex? He's like, oh, I just met him. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that's awesome. You know, that yep. he's such a great pool player and he'll just come up and talk to you and, and just be real. And so uh, I've always appreciated him. And in fact, I'd love to get him on here. I'm, I'm actually working some angles for that. right? That would, that would be awesome. That, that was one of the three I was thinking about towards the end. I remember you had a question on here about who I think you should uh, interview in the future. And that was going to be one of my answers, of course. Stole your thunder. <sighs> that's, that's okay. We, we can add him and somebody else. We'll figure it out. Okay. Tell me who your top rivals have been. Uh, you know, I always say like my arch nemesis. I have a few. Um, Unfortunately, my arch arch nemesis, which is somebody you can't beat, even though if it's close or not, uh, is Earl Strickland. I don't know why, but I mean, obviously, I do know why. He's one of the greatest to ever play the game. Yeah. And on the other side of it, you know, he has antics, and I don't I don't hold that against him. You know, he's he's went through a lot of things in the game, and you have to look at it in his viewpoint. I mean, if you're the greatest to ever play. You know, let's say like, and I'm going to put this in comparison to somebody like, like you were talking about fantasy football. One of my favorite players ever is Peyton Manning. And I don't think he gets the credit that he deserves. And I think that's the way Earl thinks sometimes. And he just takes it out on people. Yeah. So that's why I don't hold it against him. But as I was saying, I've lost to him. I can't even count. Maybe It's not a lot. Cause we, you know, when you're at a tournament, you'd always match up with the same person, mm-hmm. but I probably lost to him three or four times hill hill. And then other times he beats me like nine, three, nine, four, but I've never beat the guy in my life. And I don't understand why I can't get past him. Uh, yeah. And Earl, so you haven't beaten him yet, but there's no reason why you couldn't. Right. Um, you know, especially if you take maybe, True. you know, 10 races to nine, you're going to win some of them against other players of his caliber. And so, you know, it's probably just that one, victory you need to get one hill hill win against him you know and then kind of turn the tide you think it it would help you know obviously like you said about other players i have ultimately won some matches over shane van boning um obviously he's still in the lead you know he's one of the greatest ever he's beat me more than i've beat him yeah but i've i've won matches over johnny archer who's one of my favorite idols of all time you know i remember the day that that first happened i was playing him in his home pool room in, oh, I'm going to get this wrong, but I was playing a Gem City Classic down in North Carolina, I think. Is that where he's from? Or I think, South Carolina? Uh, I think he has a room in Atlanta. Yeah, it sounds right. Mr. Might have been in Atlanta. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I can't remember the exact year. Let's say it was like mid 2000s or like 2010, somewhere around there. And uh, we're both grinding. At, we're, we're hitting each other with punches. You know, match goes hill hill. And, I luckily come out on the end of it. I finished fifth in the tournament, maybe out of like 70 players. So I was happy about my travels down there. Yeah. But as I was leaving and I'm going back home in my car, I'm sitting there thinking to myself like, oh my God, did I just beat one of my idols I've been watching since I was a kid? That's and awesome. I've always had total respect for Johnny. And he knows that we've had multiple conversations about that. But he was the class act. You know, he shook my hand. 
Yeah. Say, good match. Move on. We, I wish you luck in the future. You know, and that's something you need when you're coming up through the game, because when you break through, that doesn't mean that you're going to stay there and you're going to be good all the time. That, that doesn't happen in this game. You're going to have to continue to work, go out there, practice, play tournaments, and be in the mix. Because if you're not, people are going to forget our names. Yeah. And they're going to move on to the next favorite sauce. You know, kind of like uh, Peyton Manning retires. And now we have Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. You know, people want excitement. They want characters like you were talking about. So, yeah kind of touched on this a little before but i want to officially ask you when you're in a match you're playing one of these top players and you're down eight to four and you're going to nine you know what what mentally are you telling yourself in the chair um well i learned this through ralph suke he was another one of my favorite players growing up um i remember back when we used to have the u.s open at the convention center in chesapeake mm-hmm. uh, virginia which was one of the best venues I've ever seen. It was just so laid back and comfortable being in that center. Um, I would always see Ralph Suquet in the chair, no matter what the score was, like you're talking about. He could be down 10 to 6 in a race to 11, and it's like it looks like he's going to lose the match. But he would just sit in his chair, relax, try not to have any distractions around him, and wait for his turn. And I could tell that he was just thinking, well, it's one game at a time from here. You know, and I remember many times I've been in a race to six, I mean, a race to seven down six to nothing. And I've come back and won somehow. And I get that same question after the match. It's like, hey, Sean, how, how did you come back from there? My mindset is, well, if, if, I, if I can lose six games in a row, why yeah. can't I win six, seven or six in a row? Right. All you can do is play one at a time. Obviously, if it's winter break, just hope that the guy don't break and run out that last rack on you. And just keep adding the pressure back to your opponent because as you do that, the balance goes from you being stressful about being down, you're getting built it up. And that, that guy's going, oh, my God, am I going to get this last game or am I yeah. going to lose this match? So you just got to go one at a time and just keep pressing. You're right. It kind of flips the pressure around, right? If somebody's beating you eight to nothing in a race to nine and you get it to eight to six, well, now all of a sudden – yep. They're a little shaky with their backhand, you know, so I, I, I love I, that. I believe all the pressure moves to them when it gets closer because you've been down the whole match. There's no pressure on you in that moment. You're yeah. just ticking away and, yeah. and praying that you come back. Hey, if you get the hill hill and you lose, you're happy about it. At least you fought hard and you gave it your all. Yeah. So I really want young players to start following this show and you know, kind of use some of the advice that you guys give them to help really as they're building the foundation for their pool career. And so if you could give a young player maybe one single piece of advice, I know this is tough, but one single piece of advice, what would you tell them? Um, well, I don't want to reiterate about the, you know, practicing and stuff when you're at a young age. That's a given. You know, if you love the sport, just keep playing. Um, Another thing I would say is, uh, I'm probably going to say this a lot. It's just not giving up, you know, no matter what's going on in your life. And, and it's kind of easy for me and you, Joey, because of things we've went through, you know, we're going to go through it at different stages in life. And now just um, know that you got a heart inside your chest. And if you have a goal, 
just keep pressing towards it, you know, because it, it's going to surface. It, it's going to happen, you know, just in your mind, in your heart and just press towards it. So that's what I would say. Sean, you've come close to qualifying for a couple of the Moscone Cups and uh, you weren't selected. Are you disappointed that you haven't been selected? And what ideas might you have for the future for how the team is determined each year? Um, obviously, I'm disappointed. You know, I would say that there was two years back when we were playing points, which I think ultimately is the fairest way to play when it comes to uh, trying to earn your spot on a, a USA national team, which obviously this is the Moscone Cup. Um, I had my chance. I remember, uh, I'm thinking it was maybe like three years ago or four years ago. Uh, we came down to the last event. I was ranked fifth in the rankings at that time. So I had been going to about 70, 80% of the points events. Let's, let's say 80%. Maybe I missed one or two out West because I, I haven't, like you said, I haven't been out there that much in California and stuff. Mm-hmm. I just, didn't have the funds to get out there. It just wasn't something that set my plans. Um, and I remember that year at the U.S. Open, I ended up my first match. I had to play against uh, Kopin Chung, Kopin mm. Yi's little brother. And obviously we see what he is now. And at that time we knew of him. Like I knew of him too, because I watch YouTube and I know all the international players. I knew it was going to be tough and I was on my game, but he played great. He won two or three more safety battles than I did. I lost 11-7 ultimately first round. So that's tough at the U.S. Open. Mm-hmm. I needed to, I believe, cash maybe top 16. So to start out with a first round loss, it didn't help. Um, I ended up winning a match or two, and then I played Earl Strickland on the TV table. And obviously we just talked about that. Yeah. The guy's my nemesis, and it didn't work out for me at the yeah. U.S. Open. And so that year was a big disappointment because the Moscone Cup is one of my last goals I have as a professional billiards player. Um, I've succeeded, I believe, for the most part, and I got my invites, like you were saying, to the World Games in 2017. It's one of the greatest experiences of my life. I got to go there with Jake Lawson and Brandon Schuff to represent our country, and it's just something that's unexplainable. I mean, to get to go to Poland just because you – you shoot with a pull stick and you hit balls on a pull table. I mean, what else can you ask for? Like, to be honest, I kind of put that above everything else because I represented the world, but I'm going to do my best. If we can get the Moscone cup points back to USA. And in my opinion, and a lot of people believe this, I know that are out there to do it properly instead of have it just being picked which I get that. I mean, I know what they're, why they're doing it. We're trying to put our best team out there. This is no disrespect to any player that's on a team. They all deserve it. But I do believe I've put in my time. And if we can get the points back, I would have loved to have the opportunity to earn my spot on the team. Yeah, I think so. It sounds like you're in favor of a point system with events leading up to it. And I think that, you know, while I agree with you, you know, the last couple of years has been wonderful to watch and there's some great, great young talent that the United States has put out there. Right. 
the drama of like how you felt at that US Open, you know, like, man, I need to finish top 16 and I'm in, you know, that could yeah. lead to a lot of really good things in this game, right? If there's one event towards the end of the year and it's like, oh, at this event, Bergman can make it or Wilkie can make it and, you know, yep. this player can make it. And it's like, I wonder who's going to do better. It kind of would help bolster you know, the enthusiasm for that event and for the whole process leading up to the Moscone Cup. I mean, once it's on TV or, or streaming, you know, I, like I said, as I was working with my wife, kind of showing her more about pool, we started watching YouTube videos of all these matches. And right. then she sees one from the Moscone Cup. And she's like, whoa, that's it. We need something like that. That's amazing. Yeah. And I'm like, that's the Moscone Cup, you know, and it's just the energy and excitement from that is big. And honestly, I think it needs to be modeled in more places. And so I was going to ask you kind of a little later in the interview, but I'll just ask you now, the professional pool scene in the United States has been a challenge, right? And like you said, it shouldn't be that a player your caliber isn't going to California to play in events because of finances, right? Right. But it just is, right? It's, it's not just you. It's, it's everybody. The West Coast players are staying on the West Coast. And so do you have any ideas for maybe how to take the professional game, kind of bring it back to the United States and, and maybe try to establish some type of tour or something? Um, obviously that's what we're missing. What you said, the last thing is a tour. We, we don't have a men's pro tour. Yeah. And I don't remember anything substantial growing up minus before I started playing back in the nineties when they used to have the camel tour. Mm-hmm. I, I don't remember anything that's held form that people have tried. Obviously we had the IPT, which was a crash because the guy was a scam artist. You know, mm -hmm. we didn't, we didn't know that was going to happen, but at least he was trying and he, we really need, in my personal opinion, a big organization behind us, you know, and obviously we need a player's union, you know, like in football, we have to have rules. We have to play by standards, which we already have that. We have the BCA Congress of America rules have been there for years. Just play yeah. by them. We have the WPA. You know, they do the best they can in the industry compared to everybody else. I give them tons of credit. And like you said, we have Matchroom. They're great. You know, they're, they're live streaming, their production, the excitement, the fans. That's the best we have right now. But for as a pro player, as you're talking about, we have to have a league. And I'm always going to go back to this. Other sports, they all have leagues, just like amateur players. They have more than we do. And that's a good thing because there's more players. You know, I was there one time. Yeah. I loved playing amateur pool leagues. That's what it was about, going and winning yourself a trip to Vegas yeah. and having a good time with your friends. But for as pro players – we're just in a slump and we're going to be there for a while. Unfortunately, I think until we get, let's say like a, a company or an industry, like, um, I don't know, like Nike, Reebok, Adidas, because we do play pool and we have to walk around the pool table all the time You're on your feet. Yeah. <laughs> so why can't these industries, which obviously we'd have to find somebody that, you know, at the top, it's kind of like a, you just got to get lucky. You know, they, you know this person and they love the game. Kind of yeah. like, uh, you know, the Turning Stone Classic is a long-running tournament. And one of my good friends, Mike Zuglin, I've always appreciated what he does for the game. Yeah. Even though it's still low-end like you're talking about, we got $25,000 added. But at least it's something. 
yeah. instead of nothing. But I remember him telling me a story that one of the guys from the Seminole tribe liked pool and that's how it got started. So he said, Hey, if you guys can get your pool players up here to the casino, we'll give you guys rooms for a discounted rate, come play our tournament for four or five days, have a chance to win money and then move on. Basically to me, that's the only continued pool tournament that you really can look at. I mean, there's other ones like the Derby city classic, yeah. Open, who they change venues, but Turning Stone has been in the same venue for, I think, 20 years now, 15 to 20 years, because they have two a year. If we can get something like that also at multiple casinos throughout, the, I mean, there's casinos everywhere. Yeah, there is People no. constantly making money. We could have a tournament at a different casino every month. Yeah. And that would be considered a pro tour. And if somehow we can make that work, you can even have it where. You can have separate divisions like football. You can have a, a tournament, a pro tour on the East Coast. You know how you got like the New York Giants, Washington Redskins, Dallas Cowboys, Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah. We can have our divisions on the East Coast. The West Coast can have theirs during the regular season. And then we can all come in towards the end and have like a playoff. I mean, something like that I think could be orchestrated too. It just takes everybody together to do it. That's the difference. I love and, it. And and if we can get a players union together, get all these details down in paper, move on, and they're just all out there and get to play pool. And it also, like I said, it would help the future of the Moscone Cup because whoever deserves it for that year needs to play. And like I said, I'm not attacking nobody. And hey, if I play terrible and don't deserve it, I don't want to be on the team. Right. But at least have us all have a fair chance. That's what we're looking for. It's kind of like having a football season and we're just going to put the Kansas city uh, chiefs in the super bowl. They don't have to play 16 games. We're just going to put them in there. No, they have to go out there, perform against other professional athletes, show that they're proven that they can win and then get to the playoffs. That's how it works. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, these are really good ideas. I like this. And you know, this is something I'm asking everybody that comes on the show. Because I think individually, there's been a lot of great ideas. But collectively, maybe an idea can be formed that takes a piece of your casino idea and a piece of somebody else's, hey, if we got an extra right. dollar for league dues, kind of bring that all together and formulate a plan that could help, right? And, you know, I'd like to be a part of at least the voice that's speaking about this and, and trying to figure something out. I mean, you mentioned Turning Stone. I played there one time. Mm -hmm. And uh, I went to and out, but it was a great experience. I mean, walking into that arena and seeing the tables, the way they were laid out. And like you said, Mike does a great job up there. I don't like the loser rack thing, but Hey, <laughs> what are you going to do? Well, uh, there's a couple roles. Yeah. Like you're saying that, yeah. but I've actually talked to Mike about if, if he said, if we ever had a tour and all tours did the same role, he would be on board with that. Yeah. But he's an old school player. He grew up playing straight pool and they played winter break back then. So you have to understand his side too, Yeah, you know, which I do. I, I totally believe in alternate break. I'm just going to give a perfect example of why. Yeah, I know you're a huge fan of uh, tennis mm. and, and other sports, but tennis for in priority, let's, let's allow tennis players, every time they win their set, whatever it is, one game, we're going to let him serve again instead of alternate serve. How many more titles would Roger Federer, Pete yeah. Sanford, they would dominate because they get to serve again. 
which is not fair to the other guy who's practicing the same at home on his defense. Yeah. Give him an opportunity to give his offense. That's why tennis is alternate serve because it has to be fair. Ultimately, that's what we're looking for. When you're a professional, you have to have a fair opportunity to beat your opponent. I think that's a great analogy too, because I think the advantage of serving in tennis is probably pretty similar to breaking in pool. Absolutely. You know, if I had to play you one game for a thousand dollars, not that I'd ever do that, but if I did, I know that if you're breaking, you're probably going to break and run out. You know, if I'm breaking, I at least have a chance to break and run out. Right. right. So you probably wouldn't even play that game against me, even though you're supposed to beat me every day of the week. If I'm breaking right for absolutely. one game, you know, it's so, yeah, absolutely. I have another couple of ideas. I'm not going to bring them up on this stream, but if we ever get to a point where we can do them kind of things, um, alternate breaks, the only fair way to play. I mean, if you look back to the top industries and productions that are doing it, Matchroom is one of them and they play alternate break. Yeah. I wonder why, because they want to see each side of the pool table compete. Yeah. You don't want to see us USA go up there and break and run five. Hey, yeah, yeah, I get it. It's exciting. That's what a lot of people's arguments are like, Oh, I want to see this guy break and run five on that opponent. Well, they don't think about the opponent in the chair. Yeah, he's been practicing for months, but he never gets an opportunity. That's not fair at all. Yeah. So instead of it would be like in a boxing ring, you know, you got Muhammad Ali and Frazier, you know, giving punches back and forth. People want to watch that more often than Muhammad Ali just knocking him out the first round. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I think we just have to weigh our options and opportunities for the future to get the rules proper a players union and obviously a league would help. I get it. It's hard because we don't have in other sports. You're going to have more professionals because there's teams right now. We only have professional individuals really. I mean, we have teams. If you count like say, say this team's like team Lucasi, we have sponsors. Yeah. We could yeah. count that as a team Yeah, and we could play team com um, championships, but we can't go on to the teams until we get a, a league like you were saying first yeah in my opinion i think it's easy if especially with all the people at the top in the industry they can do it they just haven't put their foot down and committed and and maybe the teams need to be teams from outside of pool right so you know if you look at lucasi if you look at predator all the all the different companies that are out there yep. you know they're dealing with kind of a smaller you know, uh, consumer base, right? People who are into pool, people who play pool. Sure. But what about Team Toyota against Team Coca-Cola? You know? Absolutely. And then it changes things, right? Things can can really change. So, but yeah, great idea, Sean. I really appreciate that. Do you have okay. any interesting, so I don't see you out there like, you know, doing anything wild and crazy. I think the last time I even remember seeing you match up was at Super Billiards Expo years ago. You were playing Adam Smith. I don't know if you remember that. I and, do remember that match. Yeah. yeah, and I'm sitting there watching. And, you know, one thing I was just amazed by is that he played a safe. You were dead in jail. You probably don't remember this shot. <laughs> but, I mean, you were, you were in such jail. I'm like, there's no way he's getting out of this. And you made a three-rail soft kick to make a good hit where you basically had to cheat the angle. Yep. And you did it like under pressure. It was like a pressure situation in the match. It wasn't like, you know, zero, zero. And I remember, man, like, wow, he really came with one there. 
you know, but I'm, I'm really curious about the different stories that people have from things they've seen out on the road or at tournaments, just the craziest stuff. You know, do you have any stories of anything you've experienced um, out there? Doesn't have to be from you. Maybe it could be second. Sure. Sure. Um, obviously when it comes to the gambling aspect, the pool, yes, I, I've done it, you know, and it was mainly back in my early twenties. I've, I've done a few challenge matches the last couple of years with like Shane Van Boning, uh, James Aranis and Earl Strickland up in Syracuse, which I like that kind of stuff. I, I prefer it to be a challenge instead of a gambling. And that's based on my upbringing. My granddad, always raised me for the game to be a gentleman's game, you know, but he said, he goes, look, this is part of the game also. And we know it through, you know, the movies, the hustler, the color of money. This is the side of pool. That's always going to be there, you know, gambling, hustling, whatever it might be. So for me, for instance, I've never believed in hustling. I think it's, I think it's stealing. It's like, it's like going to a bank and knowing that the camera's in this corner and you just go over to that corner and say, oh, I'm going to take the money and leave. Now, if you're gambling, that's different because you're playing a guy that you're close together in skill level. Mm-hmm. Anybody can win. I'm talking about the other side, hustling, where people go to, like, say, a town. They know they're a pro, but they go play a guy who's an amateur. They dress just, up as a carpenter. Just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm not going to long, go long into that story. Yeah. That's their life. So be it. It is what it is. People do that sometimes. Yeah. But for me, when I was uh, early 20s, like I was saying, I had a pool room in Aberdeen, Maryland, um, ran by Rick Scarlato, a uh, family that I grew up with as a kid. And Rick Scarlato Jr., obviously, who's running the Maryland States now, we all grew up together and his dad owned this pool hall. So obviously when we would have road players come through, they would call me up and say, Hey man, we, we can't beat this guy. Can you come play him? And I would, you know, I wouldn't do it every time, but I'd be like, all right, you know, I'm my early twenties and I'm, I'm excited. I'm like, all right, let's go try to win some extra money, you know, go so I can go to the movies or put gas in my car. Um, and I did well, you know, as a young kid, because I was, I knew the pool room, of course, the tables. I played there all the time. Um, I won't put names out there, but we played multiple road players, and we fared well throughout. And Oh, share a name. Come on. Um, <laughs> By the way, I call that the two-hour rule because, you know, I travel a lot for work. And uh-huh. so pretty much if I go to a pool room, I can usually beat most of just regular players in there, right? But if they get on the phone and make a phone call, right, and within two hours somebody shows up, I know I'm in trouble because it's at least an hour, hour and a half radius of all the best players. Sure. And then I, I, I'm probably, you know, even at best, you know, and probably a dog in that. But, uh, yeah, who just throw out a couple names, some of the people. Um, I mean, I played, uh, I'm sure people know Tommy D'Alfonso from up the north area. Great Austin. player. Great player. You know, kid yeah. was – playing on the road all the time back then and he came through and of course Ricky and big Rick call me and they're like, Hey man, just come play this kid. And I would say, I knew him. I'm like, Hey man, I'll come play, but it's not easy. Yeah. You know, th- this is a legit gambling match. He's like, we don't care. Just come out here, play, have a good time. Uh, long story short, uh, we played a headset to seven. He didn't quite get there. He, had, he was on the Hill like three or four times. Wow. 
I fight all the way back to get it back to even. And then we play a one race to 11 for like double the money that we were betting. I ultimately got there um, because at seven, seven, I ended up breaking, running, breaking, running out the set. I what? won 11, seven. And I don't know if it was just my, my energy. Cause we played for so long. I mean, we probably played for, if I had to guess five to six hours. Yeah. But I just caught that one gear. I started playing. I started breaking really good. And obviously I'm exhausted because I've been playing for so long. I'm like, man, I got to finish this kid off. I don't, I don't, I don't know how he didn't beat me earlier. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it was a great challenge. And I'm just glad we got through it. To be honest, I thought he had me multiple times and he knows that I've talked to Tommy about it. Um, That's the best. Him, we had like, it's the best when you have one of those where you're supposed to lose, you know, you feel like you're supposed to lose four times and yep. you come back from the brink of death and you come back to win it. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I truly give that credit to my heart. You know, I, I didn't want to give up. And obviously I knew I was playing for other people and their money. I'm not going to just dump it out. I'm yeah. going to sit there and play my heart. Hey, if the kid beats me, shake his hand and you move on. Are you going to play, are you going to play harder with other people's money or with yours? Uh, I would say for me, it's probably pretty close to the same. Same. I mean, I would say the, I would be more nervous and I have been on other people's money mm. because you kind of don't want to let them down. Yeah. You know, that's for me, you know, obviously if I'm up there and say I'm not feeling great and I'm betting my own money, I might just like ultimately say, oh man, this is such a hard struggle. I'm going to give it my hundred percent no matter what. But if I lose, I'm not going to feel as bad as yeah. for losing for somebody else, yeah, you know, because yeah. I, I can generate my money back and do something else in life. But you never know what the other people are going through in life. Maybe that's their last two or three barrels. Yeah. I don't know that if we don't talk about it. So that's how I look at it. Yeah, that's a good point. So what's your highest high and lowest? The, the first episode I ever did was with Mike Davis. And at the end of it, I asked him, what, how do you think it went? And he said, here's one question to ask everybody. <laughs> so he got off the hook. He didn't have to answer this question, but everybody else has so far. But what's your highest high and your lowest low from your pool career? Um, well, let's do the lowest low first. Uh, let's get that out of the way. As I mentioned earlier, back in uh, 2005, which would have made me 24 years old. Yeah, 24. I was born in 81. So 2005 was basically, I like to call my hiatus year in the billiards industry and just my journey upwards to trying to be becoming a pro. Mm -hmm. I was 24, you know, living life, going to clubs, drinking, you know, what people do sometimes at that time. Mm -hmm. Luckily for me, I didn't have that kind of stuff in high school because I played pool. You know, I didn't, I didn't go to parties. I didn't hang out with certain groups. It was just not something I was into in high school, but I got into it, you know, my early twenties and I was doing it, but I lost my, I lost my love for pool and my passion. So for me, that was my hardest low because I felt like I let a lot of people down, especially myself because I hadn't fulfilled in my personal opinion, anything that I wanted to fulfill. Yeah, I did good. I won local tournaments like the Planet Pool, Mez Tour, might have been like a PA state champ before all this, but I hadn't really broke through the pro, pro scene, which I wanted to be at. So long story short, 
I basically had a mental breakdown and went through some things in 2005 that I totally regret. But I told myself, I said, hey, it's part of growing up. Let's commit back to a life of, I like to call it a life of righteousness, you know, getting back to what I I think I was born to to do on this earth. And if I don't give my full commitment, how can I ever commit or complete any goals? Goals can't be completed unless you stay on the track. So that would be my lowest low. And so, but passing on to my highest high, obviously it's uh, about three years later, you know, two years I'm getting better in the local tournaments and I get my invite to go play in the 2008 world championships in Philippines. And I'm, I'm ecstatic. I'm like, man, I, I've never had a passport. Am I about to go play in Efren Reyes's hometown Manila, Philippines? This, this is just thinking about it right now. just gives me chills. It's it's amazing. Me too. And I didn't even go and I got chills. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And, um, so obviously I, I get there. I, uh, my uncle, which is John Wilkie Jr., ended up going with me. Just our family was nervous, of course, at the time. My grandmother's like, Where are you going? You're going to the Philippines to play pool? And my granddad's like, Obviously, he's very proud of me, but at the same time, he's like, We need you to be safe. Would, is it okay if your uncle goes with us? I said, Absolutely. You know, my uncle was a big part of my journey through pool because he was always hard on me. And, and, I don't, I don't, I can't even explain what it did for me because I, I could win a tournament and I could win 11 to five in the finals. And he wasn't, he never gave me like that. Oh, you did great. He would always say, well, you can do better. Or like that match before you should have did this. You should have did that. And for a while I I used to be angry at that. I'd be like, oh, would you at least just give me credit for winning the tournament and let's move on to the next. But now that I look back, I'm glad of what he did yeah. because it kept pushing me. I, I never settled for winning a tournament because he's like, Hey, that's just a local tournament. You can't, you can't win a pro tournament. You know, you should just nag me. I'm like, well, I'm going to try, you know, I'm going to keep going. So anyways, when we got there and I'm with him, somebody has been pushing me my whole life. And I'm thinking about my granddad and my grandmother back home. I'm like, Hey, we did it. We're in the Philippines because of me. You know, that's how I looked at it. I've never been arrogant or anything like that, but if it wasn't for my pool career, we would never be there probably. And obviously I ended up having a pretty good tournament. I finished 17th in the world at 20, uh, 2008. So I was 27 years old. I'm like, wow, you know, this, this is it. This is what it's about. And ultimately I I lost that year to uh, Shane Van Boning, but I was up and this was when he was just starting to break through because I remember 2007 was his big year. He started winning and I'm like, man, I just lost to Shane Van Burning and I was up four to one. I made one mistake and he beat me like 11, seven. I'm like, what just happened here? But I, <laughs> but I felt like I played good. So yeah. I was really happy about it. And I remember there was a match in that same tournament. I played, um, I don't know how to say his first name. His last name is Oi from the Japan. O- oh yeah, O-I. yeah, yeah. That guy, he's so real funny, funny guy. Yeah, yeah <laughs> interviews and stuff. He, he's the coolest person. I ever. love that guy. I don't even know him, but just like, but long story short, is it Har- had, is it Hiroki or something like that? Uh, yeah, it's something like that. 
So long story short, he had me nine to one in a race to 11 and I won 10 straight games. Wow. To, to stay in the tournament to play Shane like two oh, rounds later. So I bet it, you he didn't give a funny interview after that one. No, he did not. <laughs> it was probably sick. That probably woke him up to be the person he is back then. Yeah. But um, that's an I awesome, remember, awesome I match. having my, why it was the biggest high of my life. I had my uncle in the stands while I was playing that match against Oi. And obviously he knows I'm, you know, I'm beat down. I'm going to get destroyed. I yeah. think I was already in the final 2064 when we played. But, uh, and that's where we went to the single elimination stage. Yeah. And I'm just pushing them. You know, like we were talking about earlier, don't give up, play one game at a time. And luckily back then it was winter break. And at that point it helped me, but it also hurt me because he did the same thing to me early in the match. And I did the same thing back to him. So I, I would run like say three or four, play a safety, win the battle, tick away a couple more. And when I got it to nine, eight, I remember I'm like, I'm going to win this match. Like I could just feel it because all the pressure was on him. God, that's awesome. And I remember looking up in the stands at my uncle and he was, he just looked in shock because I, and I know this as a fan, when you watch a match and you, and it's going completely momentum to the other person, you're like, Oh, this match is over. You know, it's kind of like watching football and the team's up 21 zero right. at halftime. You're like, Oh, this game's over, but they come out more focused than the other team in the second half. And they come back and they win the game. Mm-hmm. And I ultimately think that those kind of wins are more important than beating somebody seven to zero yeah. because it just really shows your true character, your heart. And for me, that was my highest high. And obviously I've, I have went back to the Philippines once, once since then. And like you said earlier, I've been to other countries like China, Kuwait, and just representing my country at the highest stage for me is, is the ultimate high of my life yeah that's that's a great story i mean and and you're right that's a character builder right yeah Uh, you know anybody can play well for a period of time you can get out there and everything's going your way and you beat a good player you know but when you're down to a world-class player that far yeah and you just gut it out you know sheer desire and will and get back to the table and just like i love that you said i'd just get out there i'd make three or four balls i'd play safe it wasn't like you broke and ran eight or nine you just got out there and said i'm going to do the best i can each time at the table and you worked your way back into the match and it you know i could um, you painted the picture i could almost see it and i could almost see him slumping in his chair a little and see you like (laughs) perked up like i'm not losing from here yeah That's, I just remember in the back of my mind, I wanted to make it as hard as I could on him to win the last two games. Because I remember growing up with my granddad, this was before I, you know, I was a very offensive player as a kid, which I think most of us are. We like yeah. the offensive side of, you know, drawing the cue, back, cue ball back, making it look fancy instead of taking the proper way and just following two rails, which I learned that from watching effort. And I said, oh, I need to go the easy way. Yeah. Just do what the table's telling me to do. But back when I was a kid, I'd make all these mental errors. That's what they are. They're not physical or anything to do with what you learn through your, um, like your stance and your, your, your mechanics. They're mental errors. That's all they are because you're trying to do something more than is actually possible maybe on the pool table at that time. Yeah. So my granddad used to tell me, and this was back when I was a teenager, you know, 15, 16, I'd be playing in my local tournaments against all the best players. Uh, put some names out there, guys that I, I looked up to that 
uh, Bob Madoff, uh, Dave Dea, uh, Joe Cotaldi, all these guys up in like the Lancaster area, Pat McNally, these yeah. guys were the best players in our area. And I was just a kid. And yes, I made a lot of great shots and outs, but I also gave away a lot of games because I try to cut the ball 90 degrees down the rail instead of just play a two rail, simple safe. Yeah. I knew the shot, but I just wasn't comfortable with it. So I had to learn through my journey to play the percentage. That's what really it comes down to. You know, it'd be like having a football team on the one yard line. I mean, are you going to throw it in the end zone or are you going to run it? You know, you know, I'm going to give this it. Seattle I was about Seahawks. to say it's Seattle Seahawks. <laughs> yeah. I know why that happened, by the way, if you want to hear a quick story about that. Yeah, go ahead. So Seahawks lost that Super Bowl because Marshall Lynch wasn't talking to the media that year. And if they would have ran that football in, he would have been the MVP of the Super Bowl. So Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson are saying in the back of their minds, like, oh, man, we got to throw this or we got to do something. Now, I, I think their opinion – and choice to do what they did was right, but they didn't have to throw it. Let Russell Wilson run, run it in. It. Yeah, yeah. It's the same thing. Type of, yeah. Marshall Lynch could have blocked for him. If you want to try to make Russell Wilson the MVP, do it that way. Yeah. You know, that's don't an throw the ball. Perspective. <laughs> yeah, you don't throw the ball over here when there's like 10 people near the end zone. Great play by the defensive guy. I'll give it to him. Yeah. But all right, let's get out of there. I'm getting excited <laughs> about football now. So. <laughs> that's okay. Um, what I think what I heard you say is that you've kind of been on this journey and you started out as a young, aggressive player. And I could tell you, we only played, it was funny. We were, we've probably been in 30, 40 events together. And I think we've only played a handful of times. True. And one time I remember playing you in Richmond and, and this was early on. And I remember, you know, you running into trouble. I think we were like somewhere three, three, four, three, somewhere in there and raced to seven or nine or something. And you're out of line and I'm like, oh, okay, he's going to play safe. I'm going to get back to the table. What am I going to do? Where am I going to play safe? You know, I'm processing all this in my mind. And you just bank a ball in like 300 miles per hour, run out, break right. and run a few more. And I remember that son of a gun, you know? And so it's been fun watching your progression because, you know, there's, a, there's just different classes. It's like horse racing, right? And when, sure. I, when you were a great player back in 2004 and three, you know, and we were playing in the Planet Pool events, you know, you were a certain class, but then there was a class above that, you know, when the Filipinos would come in for the, Absolutely. For the US Open and they'd stop into the events. And so now that I've been watching you online, some YouTube videos, some, some streaming matches and stuff, I've seen you make it up to those higher classes now where you're playing as a true professional, you know, sure. and you're not just a great shot maker who's super aggressive. You're going to play the right shot now. And so that's been really fun to watch across your, uh, your pool career. I, I really appreciate that, Joey. I, it means a lot because it's something that I, I had to focus on because if I didn't, I wasn't going to advance from the level I was at at that time, which those days were fun. You know, I was aggressive, but ultimately like you were saying, it, it wasn't going to take me too much farther because yeah. to to win against world-class players, and not just one time, because when you're in a tournament, you're going to have to maybe beat four to five of these world-class players, and you got to play against their strengths, I mean their weaknesses and your strengths. So in order to learn that, kind of like a coach in football, you have to study them or or just know them through watching them play in another match. 
and just try your best to counteract what they're going to do back to you. So you scout your opponents? Uh, sometimes, I would say. But it's also just learn through history of, say, you played them in the past. Yeah. And, it, I mean, even if it's a short race of seven, you can learn a lot through that one race to seven based on what your opponent just did. Yeah, it's you like know. you're down you're downloading information that you're going to keep in your memory banks to then sure. against them sure. at a later date. And I like that. Like for me, which people I think used to do it to me when I was younger, when I play, let's say like an offensive player, like a very aggressive shot maker, I might bait him in to I'll push to like a shot where the cue ball is near the rail, but it's a hard cut. But ultimately I know 70% of the chance he's going to take this shot. Hey, if he makes it, good for him. But 75% of the time, he's going to miss this shot, and I'm going to get back to the table. Yeah. So that's something that you have to weigh in, and that's learned through the process. But I just think that's something that if you have the passion to enjoy the challenge of the game, that's why I continue to play, to be honest. Yeah. Like for me right now in our area, we're playing a lot of like bar table pool, and it (laughs) – it sucks, just in my opinion. Not that it's not challengeable. and It's still a hard game on a bar table, but I grew up playing on a nine-footer, and the challenge of a nine-footer is easily three times as much as it is on a bar table because when you do get out of line with your cue ball on a big table, you have to weigh the option of, am I going to take this hard shot on or am I going to play safe? Now, bar table, you could just maybe cut it in, go up and down table, yeah. And still have a shot. So it's something that I'm trying to fight with right now, actually. I still I still enjoy and love the game, but because of like you were saying earlier about the the pro tours not there, the Moscone Cup unfortunately is not points and it's more politics, you know, it is what it is. I have found another passion, like you're saying, about with sports and photography. Not that I quit pool at all i still love pool it's in my heart and i play when we have tournaments in our area but i truly believe that we need more big table tournaments and and i know it's hard because some pool rooms can't make it i get it you know if you don't have a bar and you don't have great food i understand it and especially with this pandemic but if we could find a way to maybe uh i know i'm going out on a limb here off of our question i'm sorry i'm sorry but um if we could somehow find like boys and girls clubs or schools and things like this, where we can just get kids more interested in the game and the challenge behind it, instead of it just being all about fun. Yeah. Maybe, maybe set a goal and say, Hey, do you think you can be uh, a seven in APA one day? You know, say they're starting and say, well, how about just setting that goal and then moving on to the next, maybe they'll appreciate, more what like professional players do at our level because it it is disheartening to see big football players making 30 million a year and we got to fight tooth and nail to make five thousand dollars for a tournament you know it's tough but i also understand the other side of all these other sports are more exciting so maybe we need to find a way to get some excitement into the game yeah the the, the whole model needs to change, right? And especially coming off the pandemic, how are you going to go to a pool room and say, hey, we need $2,500 for this event we want you to host? It's like, sure. 
they're probably not going to make that back. And if they do, that money needs to be used to make up for what they just lost over the last six months. And so there needs to be a better way and we need to find that better way. Um, And I like your idea about the grassroots effort. I've heard a lot of players talk about, you know, really developing the junior scene here. And, you know, we see that in other countries. We see players like Filler, you know, popping up. And I mean, that guy, when he was 17 years old, he probably beat almost everybody on the planet, you know? And it's like, where are those young U.S. players? We're not seeing them as much. And, and if they are coming up, they're coming up in spite of the environment, not because of it. And so sure, I think you're onto something there. And I would love to see that. I mean, they have esports now as a high school sport. And a lot uh, of, you know, where it's you amazing, could, you know, and my kid plays <laughs> Fortnite all the time and he's like, you know, you know, and, and so, but there's money in that, a lot of money in that. And so there now is. that's a high school sport, you yeah. know, why couldn't pool be a high school sport? You know, it, it is amazing. And I don't hold anything against all the other entertainment in the world. That's great for them kids that play video games and yeah, at least they're doing something that they love. I mean, it has taken away like getting kids outside and, yeah. I remember growing up, I used to just go outside, ride a bike, play hopscotch, you know, have the neighborhood kids uh, go out, play hide and go seek at night. And I know the world has changed and a lot of people don't like that anymore because of the scares. And I get it. Yeah. It depends on your neighborhood and where you live. But there's also neighborhoods that could do the same thing. I mean, they could. How many how many homes in the world have a pool table in it just as a piece of furniture? Yeah. You know, it's not even that they're they're like, oh, we like to play pool. And they just like it as a piece of furniture and they play every once in a while. Or they fold the laundry on it. I think, yeah, <laughs> sure, true. I think that's a really good thing for our industry in the long run. We just got to find a way when we do get back, say, on TV one day. It's great to have all the matches and stuff on YouTube, but ultimately more fans are going to be searching other things on YouTube than our industry, except for us who are in the industry that love the game. Yeah. We're, we're always going to be there, but we need to find a way to find, pull other people in from, like you're saying, people that play video games, other sports. Uh, I mean, look at Cornhole. Cornhole is gigantic, on, yeah. and it's, I mean, it's throwing a beanbag into a, a hole. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's awesome. It's, a, it's, a, it's on ESPN. You know? It's on ESPN, and, and it's because they have sponsors. Yeah. I mean, they're sponsored by, what is it, Nathan's Hot Dogs and yeah. – this, that, if we can find a way to do that for our industry, I think we can get the same thing. I really do. You know, I think the trick is everybody, I mean, there's a difference, but there's not a difference, right? Because everybody goes out and they throw bags and, you know, and so then there's very skillful people at it that are making it on sure. ESPN. It will pull similar. So yep. many people go out and play pool. But I think the difference is that like to really be like your level pool player, I mean, it's the 10,000 hours, probably more rule to dedicate yourself to be, you know, as good as you are. And so that's the part that's kind of tricky. And I think like you look at poker, I always talk about poker and they've done a great job of promoting the characters and making it interesting where people watch poker on TV. I mean, who would have ever thought you could watch a card game on tell I like poker. But if somebody came to me and said, Hey, uh, let's come over to my house and I will watch the world series of poker. I would have been like, no, you're crazy. But then when you <laughs> see the way it's produced and yep. you see how they take the Phil Hellmuse and the Mike Mattisals and turn it into entertainment, that's what I that's think that's key. what works, you know, Absolutely. and if we could find a way to do that, but uh, you know, one thing, one thing for me real quick about the entertainment concerning 
billiards. Um, first thing we have to have, it's just like all other sports, we have to have a shot clock, period. And everybody has always been mad at Earl Strickland in the past complaining about that. I completely get it because let's say you're, you're watching a basketball game, the NBA, and they don't have a 24-second shot clock. Yeah. Well, that takes away the drama of, oh, man, they got to shoot within the next five seconds. They can just dribble around the court for like five minutes to make one basket. Nobody's going to watch that. You know, people, that's why when you go to YouTube and you have a match and the guy's taking three minutes to shoot a shot that's straight in the side and all he's got to do is stop it for the next shot that's across the other side, we don't want to see that. No. And I know I'm, I'm going to get a little angry with this, this situation and topic because it doesn't make sense. Yeah. You know, get out there, enjoy the game, and just play. Yeah. You know, you, you, some of these players do it on purpose to get in the minds of the other player. Yeah. But if we had a shot clock, they would never be able to do it. And, it would, and it would go back to being, like I was saying earlier, about being fair. We both yeah. would have a fair opportunity to, to take whatever seconds we have. That's why the Moscone Cup works because they have a shot clock, you know. So, yeah. And you get, a, you get a timeout. I understand all that, just like in football. Give yourself a timeout per game or what, whatever you want to make the rules, two per set, whatever it is. But ultimately – it goes back to what I was saying that we have to have standards and rules yeah. that can progress our game instead of keep us where we're at. We, I mean, we got to move on Yeah, and not, you know, I don't believe we're going backwards. I do think we're going in the right direction because we've had a lot of good tours, big tournaments, obviously the Moscone cup match room, um, the world cup of pool, you know, I enjoy watching all that stuff, even though I've never been invited. I, I haven't earned my way. You know, I understand that, but I enjoy watching it because it's entertaining. Yeah. Now I, you know, um, the shot clock, when you watch Moscone, there's so many situations where it comes up that it actually provides additional drama. It's like, Ooh, right. this is a tough shot. And he already used his extension. What's he going to do here? You know? And so I think you're absolutely right about the shot clock. It's uh, it's vital. And you know, if chess players, when they travel can carry a little clock with them, mm -hmm. we can figure out some kind of solution for tournaments, you know, where there's some kind of clock that keeps track of how long players take to shoot. So let sure. me, let me shift gears a little bit. Sean, because I want to give you a chance to acknowledge your sponsors. So you're a player who, you know, I, I think when people listen to this interview, they're going to be really impressed by just your person, you know, who you are and, and what you've expressed here. And you've really been open and, and shared a lot. And I think that might be one of the reasons that you've had really good uh, success in getting sponsors. And I know you have Lucasi and Jake at Breakout uh, Billiards Apparel has, you know, been with you for a long time. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about your sponsors and what they've meant for you on this pool journey? Sure. Absolutely. I appreciate that. Um, like I was, my first sponsor obviously was uh, Lucasi Hybrid and uh, the cues I shoot with. Uh, that was back in, uh, let me think real fast, 2008, 2009, one of those years. And ultimately, if a lot of people look look to how old I was at that time, I was, I mean, I was 27. It's not like these days where we got the juniors getting sponsored by Predators, and which is a great thing. You know, kids need that stuff. Mm -hmm. For me, ultimately, I was a little shy on that aspect at first because I didn't want to reach out and say, hey, give me this cue, give me this, give me that. And I hadn't really, I felt, made anything in the pro level 
really exciting. You know, yeah, I placed high, I got cash back and I was doing well, I was surviving, but I didn't think I had earned anything while standing at the time. Um, so one of my friends, uh, family friends, we were up at the Super Burgers Expo in 2008 was the year I got second to Shane Van Burning at the Expo, which was one of my big highlights of my career because I had been playing at that tournament for since I was a kid in the junior events. So uh, that same year, uh, my family friend Carl, he's actually a cousin of mine, he goes, Sean, what, what do you think about playing with Lukasi Cues? He's like, I just talked to them. He went over there to the booth, and I was like, Yeah, you know, I was still in the same mantra. Like I had, I had been playing with Timmy Scruggs Cues for, oh man, I, but the cue I was currently shooting with was a custom cue that I had designed back in 2001. Yeah. So I've been playing with that cue for seven years. So my theory behind it was, why well, I. I I'm comfortable with this cue I'm playing with. I'm a little nervous to go place with something else because as I was saying, you have to know what control the cue ball. So every piece of wood is going to be different. So long story short, the very next year we go back up there, 2009 and we talk to Lucasi. Carl brings me over to the booth and he goes, Hey, this is Sean, the kid who got second last year and you know, yada, yada and all this. And I'm, I'm a little nervous and shy and I, and Wes Bond and Jamie Bond, who own the company, said, yeah, we've heard of you and uh, we, we want to give you an opportunity. And we've heard that you, I guess they had seen me walking through the venue and I'm, I'm, I'm a low key and very uh, energetic guy when I'm not playing, you know, especially when you get me excited about something else. And uh, so I, I gave him a big point. I said, I was nervous about the hybrid shafts. Everybody shoots with hybrid shafts these days. I play with a regular, um, high deflection shaft. I always have, I've never changed. And I told them, I said, well, I kind of don't want to play with that shaft, <laughs> which felt weird to me. Cause I was almost putting down a sponsor. Yeah. But luckily for me also, Wes was like, Oh, we have a uh, regular Lucasi custom shafts that are just regular wood. And that's how it all started. And, uh, I mean, it's been a great journey with them. They've done so much. Um, I just want to put a good point out for them. Like every time I went overseas, uh, Locasi paid for my flights and wow. I mean, they, they were really there for me. And like you were saying, I think it was because of my character more than my play. Yeah. I mean, obviously it was a little bit of both, but they could understand that I was somebody that, and I don't like saying this cause I'm not arrogant at all, but somebody that kind of deserved things like that because of the way I played and the way I just raised myself behind the game with mm -hmm. my granddad. And it's been great. So Lucasi was the first one. And obviously uh, with Breakout Apparel now, and that's Jake Lawson, who's the CEO of this company. And the guy is just uh, amazing. I want to talk a, about a quick story about how we got going. Um, I was currently with a different clothing company at the time. And I was in Kuwait for the Kuwait Open. And uh, long story short, I see Jake I didn't know the guy. I had just been friends with him on Facebook and he had been like sharing my posts. Like if I go to a big tournament or a local tournament, just rooting on the area. Yeah. And I didn't know at the time that he was from Maryland until I looked into his details on his Facebook page. And um, I was on the way out of the other clothing brand that I was with. And I, for some reason I had this 
thing in my mind. I'm sitting in my bed in Kuwait waiting for my next ter- match. And I'm like, I think I should message this guy. Like I, I had a weird like in, intuition. It was, I've never done this. Like, Divine intervention or something. Because like, I saw you from Maryland and I knew that this other clothing company was not, you know, continuing. Yeah. So I just sent him a message and I said, Hey man, I don't, I don't know how to take this. And, but I see you're from Maryland. I really appreciate you sharing all my statuses. It's great to have you on the side, following me. I'm trying my hardest out here, yada, yada. And uh, what do you think about meeting up when I come back home for a meeting? And that's how it all started. And it's been truly amazing because now ultimately, yes, he's my sponsor, but Jake is one of my best and coolest friends that I have because we've learned who we are outside of billiards. You know, obviously we have fantasy football. We have, you know, we have the love for cars and I mean, so many things, you know, we have similarities when it comes to things we drink, eat, you know, whatever it is. And he's just really laid back guy and he works hard. You know, he, he put a product out for the industry and it's just, it's authentic and it's, it's high quality. And that's something that I've always looked to portray through myself and I just I felt like it was a perfect match when, when it all happened yeah let me uh let me just say that I spoke to Jake recently when uh when I had approached you about being on the show and you know I had met him out in Vegas and it, ironically my brother and him are friends and or they've hung out and so um but I didn't know Jake that well and he spoke to me for about an hour leading up to this particular show and you know, he actually said, um, hey, how about we work something out? So for the listeners, uh, if you go to, what is it, shopbreakoutapparel.com and you type in the code PPP365, you'll get 20% off your order. And uh, so that's shopbreakoutapparel.com, PPP365 is a discount code to get 20% off. And, you know, what I found with him is that, He's just a genuine person that was willing to help out and, you know, even give me some advice because he has his own podcast completely on not pool related, uh, but just, you know, a genuine good person. And so, you know, I just wanted to make sure that the the listeners heard about that, but you have a a few more sponsors too, Sean. Do you want to mention them? I do. Um, My main tip uh, company is Blackheart Premium Billiard Tips. They're from um, uh, overseas in... United Kingdom. Um, right now, they're actually in a tough process, obviously, with this uh, coronavirus and everything that's going on in the world. But they've been a loyal supporter of me for the last, uh, you know, it's tough with these sponsors. I forget how many years I've been with multiple ones. So let's say maybe like four or five years, yeah. if I had to guess. Um, but what was really nice with premium uh, Black Art Tips, year three, they offered to make my own tip, which was always a dream of mine. So we have a signature tip that's called the Vanquish that's presented by Sean Wilkie through Blackheart. So that was really cool for me to have something like that. Um, Another one of my sponsors is... Hey, Sean, let me stop you real quick. Is it... uh, Tell us a little about that tip. Is it hard, soft? Is it layered? Um, I play with a hard tip and it's actually a layered one as well. Growing up, I used to play with a triangle, of course, and a LaPro tip. So I've always been accustomed to hard surface tips because uh, it's hard to explain, but like I stun the cue ball a lot. 
So like a soft tip, sometimes you get a lot of squirt if mm-hmm. you like to stun the cue ball when you're following through. So the hard tip works well for me in that aspect. Um, moving on to the next sponsor. One is uh, another good friend of mine. His name is Raymond Walters. He's my tip mechanic from, uh, you know, Raymond through, yeah. throughout the years. Um, he is based out of Midlothian Billiards, which is Diamond Billiards in Midlothian, Maryland. That's where his shop is. Great guy. Vir- Virginia, know. Virginia or Maryland? Virginia, yeah. Virginia, yeah. Oh, I said, I'm sorry, I said Maryland. It's okay. Yeah, it's uh, Midlothian, <laughs> Virginia. You know, it's funny, out here the states are big, so if you drive five hours, you're still in the same state. But back there, people don't realize, you know, if you're not from the East Coast, you drive five hours, you're going to five different states, and sometimes it's easy to confuse them. But yeah, right. Midlothian, Virginia, Diamond Billiards, got it. <laughs> yeah, he's always been a good supporter of mine, and originally... I didn't even know he was a tip mechanic. I thought he was just um, did work for people like friend, friendly stuff. And he told me, he said, well, if you ever need some help with your tips, so that's been great. And just like with Jake, you know, Raymond's one of my great friends, you know, I appreciate both of them. So, and what else did I forget? Oh, I have diamond. Um, I'm sorry. Tayom gloves. I just recently got with them last year. Uh, that's been a nice connection. Uh, Cause I've always enjoyed playing with a glove. Mm-hmm. I remember, being a kid uh maybe when i was like 20 I, I never used to play with a glove but then i got back to playing with it at a tournament because it was really humid and i came back and won the tournament and ever since that tournament i said i gotta play with a glove the rest of my career it just makes sense <laughs> because it's consistent so like you don't have to worry about humidity adding chalk or powder to your hand you know it's just something that's accustomed to me it's not for everybody but it's yeah. something i like and the last one, I think I forgot, Bruising Cues on the Boulevard, which is down in Glen Burnie, Maryland. Uh, Tony Manning and their family have been really nice to me the last couple of years. And obviously, it's a pool room that's close to my area. It's only about 20, uh, 45 minutes from my house. And it's just great to have a wonderful connection of sponsors and just be there to support them through the integrity of the game, I, I I think, you know, all is a combination together. Yeah. I, you know, the bruising cues, uh, I come back to the area. I have still have family there and I've been meaning to stop in when I came back, but you know, the last few times I've been back, I haven't had a chance, but I've heard nothing but good things about the place. And so I'm, I'm really looking forward to pop in maybe during this holiday season and maybe you and I can play some. Yeah, absolutely. They run a lot of tournaments and they got weekly stuff going on. So that would be nice. Yeah. This is kind of a bonus question. Let me just, uh, I'm going to ask this on behalf of the players that are really trying to make that leap and get better. Okay. Take us through what you would recommend from a training and preparation standpoint from a player that's a good player who's like, okay, I'm, I want to be a Sean Wilkie. I want to, really dedicate myself to this craft and get better. What is that going to look like? What would you recommend, you know, their, their regimen look like? Um, for like, so you're saying like an amateur level trying to break through to become yeah, a pro? Let's say they're an APA seven, they're having some success, but okay. you know, between an APA seven and a professional player, there's quite a bit of, you know, right. room. And so they want to get up to where, Maybe one day they get invited to a world championship. Okay. Um, for me, obviously, this is a pretty easy question because I, I, I lived it. I went through it. Um, it's just 
knowing that you want to stay committed and obviously practice is a big thing. And if you're at the, like you're saying, amateur level where you're APA seven and you want to play pro events, unfortunately, most of your tournaments are going to be on bar tables for your league. Um, you're going to have to find either a big table to put it in your house or a friend look by a pool room, um, put some practice time in on it. Um, I would say a big game, which a lot of people don't play anymore is straight pool. Uh, for me, when I was younger, I may not do it enough now, but when I was younger, I played a lot of straight pool and it just, for a solo practice game, there's nothing better because you're constantly running balls and you're playing different patterns. You're breaking balls out, different speeds. And the ultimate thing is you always have a goal, like whatever your high run is, that's your goal for the rest of your life to try to beat that. Yeah. So if you can commit to some kind of level in that, when you're by yourself, straight pool would be, would be awesome to do. And then obviously find some friends that have the same kind of goals as you aspire, you know, challenge each other, um, go over to their house, meet them at a pool room, play, play cheap shots for five, $10, you know, just commit to a plan. Uh, it's really what it is. And just, you got to have a good support system too. you know, have people that build you up, you know, to appreciate the steps that you have taken, you know, it's okay to have those naysayers too. Like I was saying with my, my uncle, but I only let them get to a certain point and say, Hey, look, I need a little support. Um, help me through this process, you know, cause we all can't do it alone. Yeah. So Sean, you've been very gracious. This has been a, a pretty long interview, but I think there's so much good content in here that could help people. So I'm going to end it with one final question. And that is, who would you like to see me interview on this show? show? You already mentioned Alex uh, right. Peggy Lyon. Who else? Um, how about let's go with Mike Zuglin because I really appreciate oh, yeah. I really appreciate the what he did for keeping his tournament running for so long. So I would say somebody like him would be good. Yeah, I'd I love would, to talk to him. Yeah, especially with the connection to the casinos, which was the idea you had earlier, the connection to the tribes. Right. You know, it sounds like he would be a great person to talk to, especially with like the direction of the industry and, and sure. What and he was do. a very good player at one time in his career too. He, uh, I have heard stories, which I didn't get to play with him a lot. I was young. Yeah. He has run multiple 150 and outs in tournaments and straight pool. So, I mean, obviously he knows that side of the game from being a player, being a promoter, and possibly maybe has some ideas for what can help our future. Yeah. Well, hey, Sean, I really appreciate your time. Do me a favor. Uh, thank Jake Lawson for me. Once again, the website is shopbreakoutapparel.com. The code is PPP365 for folks to get a 20% discount on their order. And so please, guys, check it out. Sean, this has been a great interview. You've been so open and honest about everything. And, it, you know, we've been friends for a while, but I feel like I've gotten to know you even, even better through this. And I really do appreciate it. Absolutely, Joey. I, I knew it was going to be a little tough for me to start the interview. Obviously, you all see that, but um, the way my upbringing and billiards became introduced into my life was obviously different than a lot of people that it's going to be. I just want people to know and realize that we're also humans too. We're not just pool players, you know, and that's what this is about. And I appreciate you, Joey, uh, reaching out to me and uh, 
getting the message out there. And I, I wish you the best, man. I, I hope this goes on and carries and maybe I can come back on the show someday. Yeah. I, hey, I don't know where this is going, but I'm going to keep going forward because I'm having fun with it. And I think people want, need to hear your stories. So thank, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks, Sean.